Welcome to Eat, Drink and Be Kerry, the podcast version of one of Australia's most popular foodie blogs, travelling the world bite by bite. Now here's Kerry. Hi, I'm Kerry Heaney. Welcome to my brand new podcast, where I'm going to be sharing lots of food love. This is the very first episode, and I'm proud to kick things off by talking to Amanda Hines from the Queensland coastal city of Bundaberg. Amanda and her husband Larry run Indulge Bistro, which is the sort of cafe you'd expect to find in a trendy Melbourne laneway, not in Bundaberg's main street. Say that to Amanda and she'll give you one of those looks because you're not really getting what she is all about. For her, it's all about the farmers, the region and the food and you can't get that anywhere else. Do yourself a favour and put Indulge on your must-visit list. You're listening to Eat, Drink and Be Kerry, where to go to eat and where to eat when you go. So how does a small cafe in Bundaberg, where there's only about 100,000 people, get to be Queensland's most popular cafe? Well, I'm, I'm thinking that's, that's a lot of hard work, a huge amount of hard work and a lot of passion and a lot of extremely tolerant people and a lot of people bending over backwards to make sure that we get and we, you know, what we, what we need and what they'd like us to have. And through, yeah, through a group of extremely passionate people, I, I guess something like that happens. Um, and of course, you know, it didn't happen overnight. We have been there 13 years um, and we have that, you know, a rural background. So, but I think it's all about the farmers, you know, that there's no way in the world that we could possibly be where we are without those guys backing us and those amazing suppliers. So which farmers, uh, this is the second year in a row too that you've got this, so it's no flash in the pan thing. Which farmers are the ones that are giving you the fabulous produce to make your meals? Well, you know, there's quite a few. I guess there's there's a lot of people that help out and um, I guess the first people that come to mind are people, you know, that, you know, the very emotionally passionate driven farmers, you know, such as Anthony Rabine, Anthony and Kate from um, The Hummock, who is now Bunda Ginger, and then I have people like, you know, Bill, the legendary Bill, Oh, legendary girl. With these tomatoes? Yeah, with these, with these vine-ripened tomatoes that are, you know, very, very special products and eggplants that are to die for. People like Darren Pratt, you know, um, suppliers like Rick from the Chop Shop over, over Bondi North, um, Grunsky's. Rick's yeah. the one who came up with duck ham. Yeah, well, it was through a suggestion that we came up with duck ham, you know, I, and I think a lot of the times, you know, over the years we've had this very, very, you know, unusual relationship of where you know in the beginning he used to I'm guessing that he used to think you know this girl's a bit of a nutcase which I think a lot of people do you know she's got all these wild and woolly ideas but he's always worked with me you know he's always been amazing and he's always just like oh yeah you know we'll have a go and we'll see what we come up with you come up with the ideas and then I'll see if I can do it and you know it's been like that the whole way through and he's always always bent over backwards and he's he's just been such a sensational friend and um you know such a such an absolute pleasure to work with rick you know he and the boys over there like last week i just asked him to you know turn up with double smoke spec and you know and then invent a new um we did a honey a local honey and um 
once with a slight bit of smoked pork sausage. And, you know, if something wasn't quite right about it, you know, we just, he just fixes it. You know, there wasn't quite enough honey in it. So he just, yeah, well, we'll fix that. You know, it's always really easy. You know, if we want really super thin cut bacon, or if we want really thick cut bacon, or if we want pork shoulder, or if we want necks, or we want anything's never a problem. And he will get, he got goose in for me for the soiree this year. Like he's just very, very easy to deal with, you know, a pleasure. So I guess people like that, yeah, that's the, that would be one of the, the true secrets. And those are just, there's not just one or two people, there would be 30 or so suppliers that are like that. And they come to your back door laden with boxfuls of beautiful vegetables. Yeah, and you know, that could, that, that also goes into like people like Mameno's ice cream, you know, which I think about a month ago, we, or two months ago, we met up with a supplier in Mooloogah called um, CC who is the Rosella Queen. Uh, yes. I don't know whether I've you know CC. CC. Yes. So CC, you know, so we got to know CC and we started using a few of CC's bits and pieces and we, you know, how can we, what can we do with this? Because it's such a, a beautiful product and Rosellas are very much, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's just this gorgeous product. It's a little bit tart, a little bit sweet. It's quite different. So what we did was we took um, some of CC's pure Rosellas and we, match them with Mamino's, you know, hello, CC, meet Mamino's ice cream yeah. and make us some ice cream. So I guess, you know, Mamino's are like that. You know, they turn up with, you know, five or six containers of five-litre ice cream and, you know, but they might they might have chucked in a couple of other flavours just for the hell of it. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're that sort of people as well. So we're, you know, continually having these sorts of people that just turn up. It's like um, the beetroot yesterday that turned up from Anthony Rabine you know, and I could see him coming, you know, he was walking, he pulled up in the back and I could see him from the, I was standing at the grill and I could see him walking down and I could see these really, really dark, almost like, oh, like a rich, um, not like normal beetroot leaves. So these are all intact. They've just been pulled out of the ground. All the dirt's still on them. And I'm thinking that's odd because that's not, that's not normal green beetroot leaf. It's red. And I've gone to him, what do you got there? And he goes, oh, I've just, I found these. He said, the other beetroots, because I've got into the ground, he sent yellows and some other things. He said, I found these, these were, these were ready. And I've gone, oh, they look, they look different. Can I have one? You know, because all I want to do is go inside and cut it. And um, he's gone, yeah, yeah. And anyway, I've walked inside. He's followed me into the kitchen. I've trimmed the leaves off, cut it in half. And this, there's this luminescent, you know, fuchsia and white um, beetroot. And he's just gone, he's just done like this, you know, this whole like big fist punch into the air and this bit of a jump yeah. and has gone, woohoo, you know, this is amazing. Isn't this fantastic? Um, that he actually hit the nail on the head and that was exactly what we wanted. And of course, where, you know, I'm smiling, he's smiling. He's just like, and from a farming point of view, like farmers are like that. You know, it's, that's one side of, you know, people don't see about farmers they're really good at what they do and when they do something that's amazing which is like that and that's something that he's never grown before and he's pulled this thing out of the ground and it is absolutely to die for it smells like the earth and it's tight and it's busting with flavor and it's you know there's juice and it's just gorgeous and he's done you know he's he's grown this and he's brought it into man he can see how happy i am with it he's just like ecstatic and that's weeks of work for him too. Absolutely, yeah, and, weeks and, and weeks. And a complete chance that it's worked out. Absolutely, it has. absolutely. So what are you going to do with those pictures? 
Well, we just, what we did was we managed to um, secure um, this amazing potter from down at Bagara called Kathy Vox. And anyway, what we did was we went down there and I said to her, I want you to make me something that is from the ground at the hummock. And so, you know, all the basalt mm. that comes, that came, and when it was vol well, volcano, all that basalt came out. So what she did was she grabbed some beautiful basalt stones and while we were there she um, had some clay and then she laid the clay over the top of the basalts and then we formed basically from that day some plates and they sort of look like basalt and then she put a glaze on the bottom of them so they're the colour of basalt and they're quite rough around the outside and then they have this very, very beautiful. So it was all about joining that food with that plate. So it's about this beautiful basalt-inspired fired pottery that she's made with her own very, very hands. And then it's about some cauliflower puree that um, actually Anthony and Darren Pratt have both been growing cauliflower, so we've made like a cream out of that. Out of, and then taking some of Rick's um, very, very special smoky thick cut speck, grilled or roasted, and then those beetroots put on top, taking some and dump fresh pecan, winter pecans, crushing them up, and then some, you know, a goat's cheese fondant and a couple of beautiful fig tree farm poached eggs. And they have something that's a really, really remarkable breakfast. You know, it's very, very different, and it's based on absolutely everything that's very, very close to us, even down to the plate, you know, the plate that becomes part of the, the backdrop and it becomes a part of everything about, you know, it's so very, very, uh, like, special now, you know, that plate means so much to me because it takes the food to the next to the next because the basalt is a part of who we are as a community and it's a part of our region and our area and it's it's a reason why that country around that in that area is so fertile and so beautiful so that's yeah that's where that beetroot is heading to that dish there yeah i would think that a lot of people don't realize that the Bundaberg region virtually feeds australia during winter oh look Absolutely incredible, and I guess if you were to if you were to get you know fly into Bundaberg, you'll soon see what it is that's going on there. But I guess for me, it starts out in the sea. It starts in that you know in that beautiful area. You know, it starts with prawns and it starts with you know scallops and the reef fish. Like this week, we're doing hussar, which has just been caught locally, and um, and then it basically moves into that alluvial country, which is where. You know, oh look, it's that's so diverse that country for what we're growing. You know, from chilies to macadamias to what you know, to just about anything you can think of is being grown. The ginger, turmeric, um, you know, like beetroots, broccoli, all those sorts of things, and then it sort of moves out into those bigger farming countries with sugar and and the macadamias again because we're such a big large macadamias and sweet potatoes and potatoes and all those sorts of root vegetables. And then you've got figs and, um, you know, and you think about those outer-lying country where they're doing a fair bit of hydroponics and, you know, some of the biggest growers of tomatoes in Australia. And then you sort of head out towards the burnet, you know, where mm. we're, you know, some, some... Citrus? Yeah, citrus is just incredible and our beef country. And, you know, there's still a lot of dairy out there as well. So we're... And pork, you know, I, I'd hate to think how much... I don't actually know the statistics on it, but I know that a lot of pork in Queensland is supplied by the Burnett area. So there's a lot of pork coming from there. And I know that all the pork that we use at Indulgent, of this course, is, is basically coming from piggeries in between um, Monto and Biloela. So, you know, it's 
it's so diverse and you know we do have our own I mean we've got our own dairy there as well which is Baffle Creek and then um so we're just about I think we've got just about everything we could possibly want we just need to cash in on a few of those yeah. things so what percentage of local produce do you use in the restaurant in the it's very, very high now. Um, I think it's got to a point where I'm a little bit, probably a little bit obsessive about it. You know how you like, you almost like back yourself into a corner with something. So I'm really, really careful with what we use now. So as soon as something goes out of season, we usually take it off the menu and we move into the next. The only time we run into a few, we have a few issues is when we get that really extreme hot weather around Christmas time. Um, like last year, though, Bill kept us going with a lot of produce all the way through. So, so that main aim now is to try and, you know, try and keep those bits and pieces just sort of floating through to the, you know, to the next year. Um, so we're pretty, pretty good. And I know that the um, the avocado people are lengthening the time out, and they're growing varieties that will actually, you know, they'll grow at different times of the year. So that'll be. There's the window of, you know, the window or the gap is is getting narrower and narrower every year. So it's, um, our, our percentage is extremely high. Look, um, like we can backtrack just about everything. It's probably only things like flour. Um, we know that our sugar is local, of course, yes. but, you know, flour um, and maybe, oh, you know, maybe a few little bits and pieces, but Salt. pretty much... Uh, we use all Murray River salt, so we try to keep that Australian. But, um, yeah, that's probably one thing. Pe things like peppercorns and that, of course, you know, those, those few bits and pieces that adjust in between. But if any of the larger products are all local, and if, if it doesn't work, we just go, we move it. And then we have people like, you know, the Bundaberg Prawn Farm who make sure that we've got products all year round or macadamias Australia. You know, Steinhardt's make sure that we have macadamias all year round, that we never run out. You know, sweet potatoes never run out. They they hear all year round. You know, we we make sure there's hand cut sweet potato chips on the menu every every day that we're open. They're there, so it, it's very mm. easy. Yeah. So you you're working with clever farmers. Absolutely. And they're managing to uh, broaden their species and and their crop rotation, so you can get the uh, food that you need. To, yeah. The produce you need to create delicious meals. All Absolutely, year round. but that. And then that goes on to like the general public, you know, so that the majority of the time that if you are buying a sweet potato, the, the chances are they are going to be from Bondeberg. They're, it's such a remarkable product too because it's so good for you. You know, they say that if, you know, and I guess for us it's like almost like that snack food of choice in the kitchen, you know, like that would be the first, one of the first things that, that the chefs would eat. So we hand cut sweet potatoes every single day and we roast them and then we fry them. So that's our chips. But of course, you know, for people at home, it's, and it's such a cheap, beautiful vegetable that has nutritionally is such a wonderful vegetable. I do see now that, you know, there's a, a lot of um, people are using, you know, slices of sweet potato instead of bread. You know, it's the new bread. Oh, right. Yeah. So that's the that's the new trend down down and it's sort of like oh well, it's it's sort of always been around Bundaberg you know sweet potatoes have always been there it's just part and parcel of you know who we are so it's very very easy to um to you know bounce off that whole thing you know to just fall into line with those farmers like they're so and and most of them are just you know, so easy to get along with, so passionate about what they do and so good and talented at what they do. 
farmers. Farmers are the backbone behind your uh, success of, with the cafe because they're giving you this beautiful produce that you're turning into wonderful meals. But um, I think you've got a bit of a thing about us not loving farmers enough. They should be the new rock stars. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I don't know, I think we view things quite differently in this country to the way they should be, you know. I, and I guess us having a farming background and my husband being a you know, an, an ex-farmer as well, you know, I've had them, I have them sitting on a pretty high pedestal. And, you know, I, I guess I see, I get, I guess I see a lot more than what the average person sees with a lot of different farmers and a lot of different spectrums. Now, for us, last week we talked about, you know, turmeric, you know, the new superfood, and we put the new turmeric latte on our, so... Turmeric latte? Yeah, so which comes from, you know, one of my rock star, one of my rock stars, Anthony Rayburns, of course, again. He, he, so he ground, he grew some, grew some um, turmeric and dried it and ground it up and now we have, you know, this amazing turmeric latte with, you know, ginger and vanilla bean and black pepper and it's a, made with coconut milk and, you know, it's a fantastic thing. The thing, that, I guess, that was really, really annoying for me, you know, when it turned up, it was like, it's golden. No, it's golden. Mm. And, you know, when he sent it through to he sent it through to the markets, they chipped him because it wasn't orange. And I just, I'm just, that sort of thing just horrifies me because I think, you know, it's, 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 a, it's yellow turmeric, you know, and, of course, when we make the latte, it's, it's a yellow, it's yellow. It's not orange. It doesn't come, it comes across as gold. And I, I sort of think, I will, you know, to me, that's our turmeric, you know, that's what, that's what we're growing here. That's, that's the colour that we're growing. It's not bright orange. And I know the stuff that we have, and I know there's different varieties, but I know the stuff that's imported is bright orange, you know, and it comes out very, very, very gold and very dark. So, you know, I guess for me, people people need to see them in a different light, you know, that they're very, very important to us. You know, we, that, you know, the sooner that we work out how important they are to us and what they're actually doing out there, you know, things like the dairy industry and, you know, um, something as simple as, you know, like a carrot grower, you know, you... You need to be sure to make, you know, that, that you're looking after them and that, you know, encourage the multinationals to use all forms of fruit and veg. You know, that if, if you know, it's a, a, you know, an amazing apple from Tasmania, which I've seen down there that have brown skins and underneath there they are the most beautiful apple and because they've got a brown skin on the outside, it's like we don't, you know, we don't like to eat them, you know, and that's just, and I'm sure that's the way that the multinationals have got us convinced and you know that's the way they want us thinking you know we don't really want a short stubby carrot you know we want a long slender one or you know we don't want anything that looks a bit odd you know we don't want pale colored turmeric because that's not right because that's not what the that's not what they want us to believe so I just think you know we need to stay very very informed and we need to you know we need to trust in our farmers a little bit more and you know most of them are very careful about the way that they where that they farm, they don't heavily spray. They only do what they absolutely have to. You know that the media sort of makes them out to be. You know they're. You know some of them are. You know doing too much of this or too much of that. That's not true. You know all the farmers that I know are very very careful and very very gifted, and they're usually like, you know third, fourth, fifth generation, and they really know their stuff. So we need to we need to start. You know looking at them a little bit more carefully and so saying that these guys are superstars like they're absolutely amazing somebody that can grow something perfectly and 
you know, pull it out of the ground with the dirt still attached to it and bring it in and it's glowing on my, you know, on my bench top, you know, is like, you know, that just makes me just, I think, oh, my God, you know, how amazing is this? The same goes for people that are growing beef or sheep. You know, it's it's hard to do those sorts of jobs. It's very, very hard on the land. And if you're dry land farming, my gosh, you know, that's harder again. And, yeah. you know, that's where that's where Larry and I came from. You know, that's that, that background of dry land farming, you know, um, you know, paint, you know, Larry grew peanuts for quite a long time, you know, and that was, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. So yeah, kudos to all of them, absolutely all of them. And yeah, we need to start looking at them in a completely different light. So gold stars to our farmers yeah. for, for feeding us and doing it so Absolutely. Well. Yeah, all of them, and suppliers and producers, you know, mm -hmm. those people that are doing all that stuff, you know, the people that are... The hard yakka. Yeah, yeah, the hard stuff. And out there, you know, out there, and I guess I always think about, you know, a farm as compared to a shop and, you know, if we, if you say compare and indulge, you know, um, this tiny little shop that, you know, I think, you know, it's like a little hole in the wall and it has like about 20 staff and, you know, we came off a property that was, say, 20,000 acres um, and, you know, that a lot of the time a 20,000 acre property, when it's running just, it just say it's dry land farming and it's, you know, running cattle and, you know, it could probably only afford to employ, say, four or five people mm -hmm. and you get this tiny little piece of land in the city and it's sort of like, you know, it just doesn't make sense. You know, they're out there, they're producing food for the rest of the country you know, we feed a few people and they're out there, you know, they can produce all this all this um, food and it's like it doesn't add up to me. It doesn't make sense. It's a strange world. It is. It is, absolutely. So um, we've, we've been learning the secrets behind your success. What tips would you give to other people who are running cafes and to find how could they become um, their state's most popular cafe? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I guess, I, you know, I think you've got to keep an eye on the prize. I, you really do. You have to keep an eye on your goals, what, what it is that you're trying to, and don't sort of leave the path too much. It brings me back to that um, quote of um, that vampire movie, I think it was, you know, he said, stick to the, stick to the path, beware of the moors. <laughs> so make sure you stick to the path, you know, and have, have you know, it's good to, to um, veer and to... to and be, you know, super stretchy and bendy, you know, with, with people and with your staff and with the way that you do things and the way you can diversify and, and make sure that your menus can stretch and bend with seasons and all that sort of thing. But I, I really think that you, I, I guess with Indulge, we had a, you know, very, very clear vision about what we wanted. And, of course, it grew over the years. It very much was like the little shop of horrors and, you know, we kept feeding the monster and the monster just got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point of where it is now. But it was, we had a very clear idea and that was that, you know, we wanted to make sure that it was very ground-based and that it was looking after what we had around us and that we we wanted to keep our, our background intact and was to do real food that was either grown or locally, locally sourced out of the same area, out of our area. Um, or is produced in that area and then but everything was handmade and it, and I guess it, we still wanted cakes to taste like and they still do it tastes like a cake that your mum made you know that my mum made I mean one of they the do. they definitely <laughs> taste like that 
one of the most popular cakes that we have, um, which is our shortbread cake, which was my grandmother's cake. So, and she was Scottish, and you know that's probably in the beginning it didn't sell, you know. But I just kept reintroducing it, and then we tweaked it a bit, and then we start, you know, and then we just sort of like we grew it a little bit. So it's that flexibility of you know taking something that you really really believe in and bending it and stretching it to fit in with what you know what the mold is. Um, and I think that's that's part of the success. So you've you've responded to what people have uh, to feedback that people have given you, but you've also educated people, haven't yeah. you? So so that they can appreciate these pretty fancy menus that you've got in a in a you know very small country town. I think that um, I think trust is a really big thing with clientele. Like, I, and I think you know I looked as we were driving. Uh, this morning I looked across under the fig tree where a lot of our and they were all old our customers like they were customers that we've had for a very long time so there must have been at least you know 20 to 30 people sitting under the fig tree and I looked through the whole group of them and I knew them all and then as I came around the corner I looked out the front and they were people that we knew like they were all people that we knew so looking after you know your clientele and getting that trust out of them and I think it's that suggestion you know sometimes it's like the shortbread cake sometimes it's not going to work in the beginning but it's if you really really believe in it and I think of things like you know the spanner crab omelette you know if I would have introduced that say five years ago it may not have worked but now of course it's like probably one of you know it's that we can sell you know a breakfast for 28 29 bucks a, a portion um, is a testament to the trust that we have in our, you know, that's with our, big dollars. It is big dollars for a breakfast, but it's restaurant quality. Yes. You know, it's it's breakfast sort of taking on that, rec, you know, that, that restaurant mode. So, you know, you've got, you know, the best seafood, you know, these beautiful creamy miso bases. You've got, you know, these amazing eggs. And it is, it's a restaurant experience and, you know, you're expected to sit down and you, you stay for breakfast. You know, you don't, it's not this... You know, shut well, them off and rarely see a spare seat in your, your yeah business. yeah. Well, it's based on it is based on that. So that I mean, if you want a bacon and egg sandwich, but if you're going to do a bacon and egg sandwich, of course, you know, try to do the best one you possibly can, and try to use you know local local, local pork. You know, which is what we do. We would never ever. Um, oh, you know, I'd be horrified if if you know if I ever had to use like something imported like it would never happen well no, I should never say yeah no that just you know well you change your menu it would yeah I'd just take it off if I if that ever you know a time came where there was a, a shortage of pork or bacon my god I'd be, be very hard <laughs> I, to to, I think I'd have to close up shop but yeah it's yeah it, um so most of your customers are locals even though you have such a high profile yeah um most of those seats are filled by locals well, on a regular basis? I think over the last, you know, when you win an award, you get all sorts of people come through your doors. And, of course, you know, the most, we had the most beautiful review um, a couple of days ago from a barrister in, that had been up for an inquest and had sort of said to us, you know, it was the most, you know, it was just this lovely, you know, and about, you know, if, we're, if you're in the city, you know, it's, you know, with all the competition, he said, but, you know, in the country sometimes it's easy to do, you know, near enough is good enough and he said you guys don't do that like it doesn't happen there and that your vision and the work ethic and everything about you know it's just this lovely and we do we try really really hard to keep things different and we try hard to make sure that the product is 
always going to be amazing and, and, and that it's always connected to a person who's growing it or, you know, fishing it or... And you mentioned that on the menu too, don't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. We try to give so that if, if the grower is sitting in there, most of them do eat there. So if they're sitting in there, um, it's very nice for them to be up in lights. You know, it's lovely to have that. Um, you know, twos, twos um, export, you know, tiger prawns or, um, you know, Bill's Beauties, you know, Amorosa tomatoes or, you know, Darren Pratt's amazing beetroots or, you know, chickens from Mandubra's pecans or something like that or... It's all very, very connected in that way. And then, you know, things disappear. Of course, you know, it's like Simpson Farms avocados, you know, the pick of the crop. Like they disappear, these things, because when they finish, it stops. And, and you know, I think we've, I've, you know, talked about avocados before. It's like when avocados finish, they should finish because then you'll appreciate them the following year. You know, the avocados that we get are what I call probably the most premium in Australia. Childers grows, I think, some of the most spectacular avocados, you know, from Shepherds through to Haas through to Reeds. And now Bam Bam Springs is growing these amazing gem avocados. Um, um, Will and Jess Randall over there at the corner at Bam Bam Springs. And but when they finish, we, we need to learn to say, right, that's it. And instead of saying, oh, let's import a heap of avocados and use that and have this inferior product, you know, you just, I think we just need to go, let's wait and let's have it. And when it comes again, it'll be so special, you know, instead of having everything all year round, you know, and that's why we would never use like a, a cherry that's out of season or we would never use an orange, you know, like we don't, we try not to use anything. So you try to flex and bend that menu so that it fits around that theory and that, that's the way that we do things. And that's why you see menu changes that, that shift so quickly at Indulge because sometimes things happen. You know, some things, sometimes, you know, um, bullhorn, bullhorn cap, um, chilies this year only had, you know, a couple, this, there's a six weeks window of opportunity. So if you're putting bullhorn chilies on the menu for that, so when that's, when that's finished, it's like that has to be rewritten. But, um, you know, and I guess this is another thing, you know, for people to take on board. Like, it's as easy as a word, word program on a computer. It's, you know, you take the bullhorn chilies in and replace it with something else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's as simple as that. And I guess a lot of people are afraid of doing that. You know, they're afraid that, you know, they might upset, upset their customers. But, you know, they might have something even more interesting, you know, well, your next customers time. T- trust you, don't yeah. they? But whatever comes to replace that yeah. is going to taste equally as good. Yeah, and of course some people are going to be, you know, like, oh, my, oh my God, what's happened to the pick of the crop? Well, you know, it's it's, it's finished, finished for the year. And, you know, as much as, you know, I like to think you might like to get it out of a tube, you know, it's it's not going to it's not going to happen. And, you know, we can do packet products like that. And, you know, we know that um, there's, some, there's some quite good product, but... I'm sort of in this, um, you know, my thinking sort of starting to change and I keep thinking back to when I was a child and, you know, at Christmas time, you know, you would have a ham and you never had ham, you know, and you got to, you got to Christmas and your mum would glaze a ham or, you know, she would cook a, you know, a turkey or a, a duck or something like that and, you know, it was special, you know, or a plum pudding or a Christmas cake and, you know, you never had it any other time and then when it got to that time of the year, you'd go oh, my God, this is so exciting. I haven't had, you know, like plum pudding. Oh, my gosh. We don't have that sensation anymore. It's almost like we have everything at at every given time. Everything's available to us. You know, we can have prawns. We can have... Nothing's really 
you know, we don't make anything. But if we eat seasonally, of course, that happens all the time. It's like the hussar, you know, this fresh hussar came in and it's just like, What's it's, a hussar? Well, hussar is just, it's a, it's just a, fig, a fish that's caught around. Oh. It's a reef fish. And it's only a fine little, you know, it cooks within, you know, oh, look, the whole thing would be done like in a minute. It's, it's thin and it's sweet. And, but, of course, it's like, you know, I was talking to Beryl Grunsky about it and I said, oh, I want to put the hussar on the menu. And she goes, I won't be here for very long. And I went, that's okay. That's fine, you know. And it, so we did this seafood stew, which is still there. We've stored a little bit of hussar. So, well, it's, um, so then she said, oh, that, you know, the trawler will be in at the end of the week. I'll grab what hussar he's got and we'll snap freeze it and then we'll, we'll have our hussar for the next couple of weeks. And then it'll be finished and then we'll move on. Mm. You know, but wasn't it lovely while it was here? Exactly. Yeah. I, I think your other secret, though, which we haven't talked about it very much at the moment, is, um, is your staff. Because I've often seen you at food festivals with several staff members yeah. walking around, taking it all in, and, you know, you've brought them down to enjoy yeah. and learn. Yeah. That's, that's not something that everybody does. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, we're, we work, we work, all work together, so we don't, we're not the sort of um, owners or managers that just walk in and go, what's going on in here? You know, I work on the line. You know, if we're doing 300, 400 breakfasts, I'm on the line. You know, it's not like, you know, we don't like, we don't have, you know, Larry makes, you know, if he's doing 500 coffees, he's doing 500 coffees. That's him. You know, he makes all the cakes. You know, it's like every, um, so those guys, so it's like a family. And I have to say that people like Mitchell who, um, has stood beside me for like the past nine years is, you know, it's almost like a marriage, you know, it's, it's like, you know, someone and you've got to get on like incredibly well and you must have a lot of respect for them and they've got to have a lot of respect for you. And you've got to have this, it's got to be a lot of fun. You know, they've got to be able to bounce off each other really, really well. And, you know, I sort of think, gosh, you know, he knows me really well. I also know him really well. You know, he came there when he was about, oh, say, I think he was, um, 15, 16, maybe 15, I think. And, um, like, he just incredible. And they're every single day one of the hardest working, loyal, most amazing people I've ever met in my entire life. And, you know, I guess, yes, same goes for, like, we've got, you know, apprentices and past chefs and, you know, they're just funny, lunatic, silly you know, we do lots of yelling, we do lots of laughing, we do lots of silly, we have a great time. You know, some days are, you know, can be hard, especially when you're training apprentices. You know, sometimes they can be difficult, but some other days can be extremely rewarding. You know, we have great dishes, we have great front of house, you know, we, um, and lots of young staff as well, yeah. And I think that that all comes through uh, when you're sitting in the restaurant and, and enjoying that beautiful food that fun that you've had preparing it and the, and the pride that you have in your yeah. business is something that is just so obvious and, and it just makes the, the whole experience delightful yes it well that's what we would hope you know we can only hope that you know that that comes across and i you know we, we do work incredibly hard at it and it can be you know emotionally like extremely draining but it can also be emotionally rewarding you know it's 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 one of those, um, look, it's a, it, yeah, it's a, it, 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 it's like this roller coaster, but 
it's a, it's a fabulous roller coaster. Like it's just fantastic. You know, it's crazy and it's, you know, you know, it's intoxicating. And then the next minute it can be like, Oh my God, I'm going to kill somebody in here. Like, and then the next minute it's like, I love you, you know, and we're all like that, you know, we're all a bit, but of course there's all sorts of different personalities that bounce off it. You know, there's a couple of us that are, are quite loud and over the top. And then some of us that are very placid and very, you know, very, very straight and, you know, the, and, and I guess that's the dif difference between Lara and I is I'm really, really sort of up and, you know, and I'm really emotional and really and over the top and, and he's very, you know. Larry keeps you grounded. Yes, he keeps me very, very grounded and makes sure that, and, and Mitchell's very much like that as well. So having two very grounded people right beside me, I guess, is a very good thing because too many of me, I think, would be a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, the boxes that a successful restaurant has to tick would be, from, from your point of view, original produce, using that, good yeah. stuff, having, sticking to what you, you, your game plan is and not deviating. Well, yeah, making sure that you're flexible, but trying to keep that, if, if that idea is, is really, if you, if you really believe in the idea and that you know that it, and do, do your homework, of course. Yeah, yeah, make sure that you've you've done your homework and know that that plan is is fairly hard fast and that it, it's it's going to work and then stick to it. But make sure you're flexible. Flexibility is such a but keep the eye on the prize, but have that flexibility. It's sort of like a you know that band. If you had a band sort of holding it on the end, that you know you're still holding it on the end, but you can flex that rubber band back and forward. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And building a relationship with your customers, yeah, so, you know, a, a two-way relationship. Yeah. And um, having a lot of fun along the way. Oh, absolutely. We do a lot of laughing. I have to say that we do a, lots of silly business, lots of laughing and lots of, um, yes, lots of, lots, of, lots of silly, stupid business. Yes, but that's the good part. That's the good part, yeah. So, Amanda, let's finish up yeah. with five quickies. Yeah. Okay. France or Italy? Probably France because I'm a bit of a francophile. Okay. Sweet or sour? Sour. Sour? Yeah. Even though Larry makes those fabulous cakes? Yeah. I think it'll be mm, Yeah. Mm, okay. That's a really hard one, Kerry. <laughs> well, <you laughs> Maybe know. both. Maybe both. <laughs> Beach or mountain? Mountain. No? Absolutely. You live so close to that. Oh my god, my mountain, the mountains. I just, yeah. Okay. Wine or beer? Wine. <laughs> Very much so. Unless it's Bagar Brewing or Baffle Creek. <laughs> okay, okay. And then train or plane? Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, it'd be it'd be plane because the 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 time restrictions but it would be trained if it was like you know doing a journey through to malacca and up to you know through the spice trade route or something like that it would have to be a train but yeah i think plane because just because of the life we live at the moment yeah okay well, Amanda Hines, thank you very much. Thank you, Kerry. Thanks for listening to Eat, Drink and Be Kerry. For more, subscribe to the blog or look for Kerry on Facebook, Twitter and Google+. This has been another quality podcast from Bytes.com. All kinds of podcasts for all kinds of people.